Hello, book lovers. Welcome back to another book club online with me and Marissa Serafini. And for the month of May, we are covering Making History, which kind of sounds like a nonfiction book, but it is actually a fiction book by Carolyn C. C spelled like I see you, not the C that I want to swim in. <laughs> and, um, so we're going to talk about the book. We're going to uh, we're going to sp- you know, obviously spoil it. We're going to give some context about, you know, who Carolyn is as an author, give me some uh, history, pun intended there. And then at the end of the show, we're also going to talk about like books that we've been reading on the side, apart from this show. Um, you know, the, the whole goal of, you know, what we're trying to do is A, read more, B, share our love of reading with you, the audience, and also give some other recommendations and uh, essentially start a conversation. You know, we, we love talking with people who enjoy books as much as we do. But uh, let's dive in with this one, Marissa. What did you think overall of Making History? Yeah, I mean, when you first recommended it, I had never heard of Carolyn C. And then, you know, looking at her repertoire of books, I was like, okay, she she does a lot of uh, fictional stories, but then that are like not that far from reality. Um, and when I say that, it's like realistic storylines. Uh when it comes to everyday people and everyday life and living and their jobs and stuff that's uh, that you can relate to in that way. And so when I read and saw the premise for this one, I was like, okay, you know, uh, a family moving through tragedy and getting over that and like moving forward in life. Oh, interesting. Um, but and we'll definitely get into it. But it's like the different structures of going back and forth between um, this, like Jerry and and the two daughters and stuff, and and following their lives. That that was a interesting pattern to follow and see where everyone is in life and how they're dealing with quote unquote grief or, or tragedy in their own way. So I thought that part I enjoyed. Yeah, I mean it. it... Part of it, you know, I wanted to pick like an author that I hadn't also heard of. So I've not read other works by Carolyn. And, you know, sometimes I, I do appreciate whether it's any art, right? Books, movies um, that are grounded in reality, because I think life is fascinating in, in and of its own. You don't need to invent much. And mm-hmm. so I, I like that sort of premise. And it was, it's centered around California, specifically like the LA County. So I was like, okay, well, that, that'll be interesting and neat. It's set in the 1970s. So that that's kind of what led me to pick it. Um, it is a national bestseller and she is regarded uh, well as an author. So I was like, all right, let's give this a shot. And overall, um, like, it's interesting to me where I've, like, it's a book that's very heavily grounded, but also very abstracted, which I understand is very much like in opposition of each other, but that yeah. is kind of oddly the book. And um, so we'll, we'll get into that. But I think I think it's beneficial. You know, sometimes like we talk about the author and, you know, their background kind of hints at a few things, but uh, but not enough to be like, OK, well, it doesn't hint that they would write this book. Whereas if you read her bio, it essentially hints at exactly this book. So mm-hmm. she grew up um, within L.A., she was born in 1934 and her, um, her, her father essentially was, um, a would be novelist and, and journalist, but he was also, um, an alcoholic who abandoned them. So her mother eventually remarried. Um, she had a half sister that suffered from addiction and, and, and died. Um, she ended up earning her, um, associate degree from LA city college. 
Um, and she was actually a professor and also um, a journalist, a film critic, um, or just an art critic in general. Um, and that's kind of, you know, the highs and lows of her story, right? Um, and you can, knowing that, you essentially understand where she draws inspiration for this book, because, you know, it's a family that's, you know, a um, win was divorced, now married to Jerry, and they're kind of blending their two families together. And, you know, it's a family drama that that is now dealing with with stuff. And uh, I mean, the biggest thing, I mean, I, I want to know from you, did you feel like certain elements happened where um, it was just kind of forced for the sake of the story to like have something happen? For example, the big thing for me was there was a car crash. And the first one, it was like, okay, fine. Cool, we're dealing with that. But then we get a second car crash. <laughs> right. You know. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can see, first of all, with when you understand Carolyn C's background history is, and her family aspects, it's like you can understand. It, it sounds like, not to sound terrible, it sounds like a typical American family. You know, you, you see um, like tragedy, you see divorce all the time, you see addiction all the time. Um, so th these are like realistic qualities that you would find in a typical American family. Um, again, uh, relatable for and and you know that still happens today um and for the the sense of when uh about the car accidents like yeah we start the book off with the car accident and recovering and then there's another car accident and then at the end you're like is another one gonna happen because we're already conditioned to think they're like oh wait this is such a recurring theme throughout the book now like anything that happens you're just automatically thinking car crash um I think it was more so just not to say it was forced or contrived in that way. I think it was just something's had to happen for us to be like, oh, okay, because a car crash already happened, that doesn't mean it'll happen again or something else can come out of this. Um, you know, it's it's a different... I think it forces characters to be like, but maybe it won't be a car crash. Maybe it'll be something more positive. Or, um, you know, it, it forces them to, like, kind of rethink their lives in a way and maybe think more positive in that way. And, uh, yeah, I mean, um, more positive interest. I mean, maybe so, you know, it's a, the stories is told in, in three parts. And essentially, as far as, like, the big plot items, uh, Jerry tries to make a real estate deal in Southeast Asia, but it goes bad. Um, Wynn hates her life, but likes what she's afforded. So she's the mom. Uh, Whitney, the daughter, uh, gets into a car accident and loses her friend, Robin. Whitney and Tracy work at an events company and go, go to Maui, where they hook up with the owners of like this tequila company. Um, and one night when the two families are meant to go to the circus, uh, meaning Whitney's family and, and uh, Tracy's family, the best friend, uh, there's a bad car accident. Mostly everyone dies except for Tracy leaving Wynn, Tina, Kathy, and Jerry to contemplate their lives. And in an odd way, when you say like, it kind of ends with almost Jerry, who's this apathetic character, um, you know, business tycoon sort of type of guy. He finds oddly some sort of humanity within himself at the end of all this, whereas I think Wynn goes the opposite way. And she just, she has nothing to live for anymore. That's the way I interpreted it. Right. And I think it, you can say it's also the age difference too. Jerry is a father. Um, he thinks 
logistically when it comes to business terms he he like he sees plans ahead of time he knows how to communicate to people how to make things happen like he he's a very business driven kind of mentality whereas when i'm sorry not when um the daughter um she she's young she hasn't experienced life um as much as jerry has and so i think it's like you can see when we see this theme a lot with mortality motivation, you know, and when the daughter is now trying to move forward in life, she because she hasn't seen as much life. She doesn't know where to look forward to. She doesn't know her next steps where Jerry has had enough time in his life to know how to approach things, whereas the daughter doesn't. And I think that's the the difference between these two and why they go about and do the different things that they go in the future. Well, it's interesting. What you know? Yes, they have a very different outlook on life. But like, as far as Jerry, he seems to enjoy none of it. Right? It's all like he had a failed first marriage. Essentially, now he's here, um, and he's very much stuck on this business deal. And like, for all intents and purposes, he goes away to a foreign country and does all these sexual acts. Except he's married, and then you know Whitney. For better or worse, she goes to a you know not a foreign country, but you know um, certainly Hawaii's far away from mainland U.S. Mm-hmm. and you know just essentially has fun, gets drunk, and yeah, has sex. <laughs> you know what I mean? But actually, at least enjoys it, right? So there's a weird dichotomy there um, of that. Now that I think about it, right? And it, it, I think it also shows like the different personalities and how people deal with trauma differently. And um, so it could be maybe the youthful Whitney enjoyed it more because, you know, that that was like a first time for her losing her virginity, going to a new place. Like everything was new and fresh where Jerry, he's had some um, tumultuous history with a divorce, with now a car accident. So maybe it's just also his age that he's not as excited because it's not so much new for him. Whereas Whitney, it's, it's new, it's fresh, it's exciting. Yeah, and I think too, I mean, as far as the accident, right? I mean, he didn't have to necessarily deal with the accident. Um, he was away on business, so he didn't see the immediate aftermath. And certainly he feels his role, if anything, is to like support uh, and give finances. But it's really when the mother who's taking care of Whitney and, and their bond kind of, I mean, that's what makes it tragic at the end is, you know, Whitney almost died in the first car accident. So now she, if if anything, she has that like, well, live life because I could die at any moment. Mm-hmm. And then come to think of it by the end, yes, she does actually die, you know, <laughs> yeah. in a second, in another car accident. So, um, you know, certainly Whitney, uh, Whitney and Wynn, her mother, have a different outlook on this than just Jerry. And I don't think that Jerry doesn't change that much until he physically attends the funeral and sees, you know, the grieving of a Tracy and so forth. Um, yeah. You know. And throughout, and I'm like, I, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but we do, because we see, we're following Jerry through this apathetic journey of him se- separating himself from his family, going to a completely different country, basically not really properly dealing with everything. Um, he's doing it, everything on his own. And we see him you know, not handling it, like basically avoiding everything. But like I liked um, 
that we as the reader finally got that moment where he does break down. He does finally allow his feelings to hit him. Um, and quite honestly, I was worried that we would never get there. Um, but the fact that he got his moment to actually feel what he should have been feeling, despite being way delayed, maybe a little too late. But I mean, everyone grieves at their own time and in their own pace. And um, But he finally got there. So like he, he had some redeeming qualities because at first I didn't like him. I was like, you're supposed to be dealing with your shit, dude. But then uh, if he finally got to that moment. Yeah, and certainly in a weird way, like he by the end, he's being essentially observed by Robin, who's the best friend of Whitney, who died in that initial car crash. Um, and, you know, that's kind of coming to peace with it, where like, okay, he's going to be okay, essentially, right? Um, it's not great, but it's okay. Um, real quick, I know this is a tangent, but in some sense it was a tangent in the book, the whole Donnie and Thea plot line. Personally, I could have done without it. Uh, I didn't think it like enhanced, like if anything, I was already invested, in, like the the family dynamics were so nuanced and so forth. And I thought mm -hmm. there was a lot going on there. And if anything, I wanted to explore it more. But then we got these interstitials with Donnie and Thea, these characters who essentially live in Van Nuys, um, and like, not only do we introduce them, we, we get like a whole history of both of them. You know, how Thea came to the U.S., how Donnie got to be like a miserable prick. <laughs> right. Um, and no, I, I completely agree because it felt so disconnected a little bit. Um, like, and I can see why you say maybe abstract because like they just kind of seemed random. Um, my whole thing was like, how are you relevant to the story? How are you even really connected to these people that we're reading? Um, and quite honestly, not that memorable. Like they didn't add anything to the plot. They didn't, um, they weren't there at the end. So like it, they, they just kind of were like placed in. I don't know if it was for padding of the story, but yeah, I agree with you. We could have done without them. I mean, there were Maybe it's just like another quality of a like, uh, a separate American kind of storyline, Americanized storyline of people trying to make it in the world there too. But I don't know. They they just seem so disconnected from the original people we're reading about. Yeah, I mean, as far as like the plotting of it went, it very much felt like it, it, it almost like, okay, they're Chekhov's gun for the second car crash. So it's like, it's obligatory to introduce them, but it's like, I didn't need it. You know, um, right. And yeah, there, it, 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 in some ways, it acts as a counterpoint to the lives of, you know, these very this very affluent family. But yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I I would have preferred to just continue honing in on. Um, I don't even know their last name. I forget, but we'll call it the Jerry family. <laughs> and yeah. and certainly, like I mean, the, the, you know, uh, they have a whole rich you know, side characters already. We have Kathy, who's Tracy's mom. We have Tracy, who is the best friend. Um, and so, and plus we have all the coworkers of like Miss Nienenthal, hardworking Anita, Maria, and Ed, like there's so much going on. And, and even like the Jose Cuervo guys. So it's like, I don't need Donnie and Thea. <laughs> right. You know? I mean, like, uh, we can understand how they're related to the, the last crash, 
but also we don't need the whole background history. The I mean, the this is where you can just uh, as a writer, you could be like this random person who was driving erratically one day was the cause of a multiple car accident. We didn't need the background history of those uh, of them. It, it could have been easily solved as like someone was driving like an asshole. Um, and, and that was it. So, uh, again, with like maybe it's just her way, the, the writer's way of just showing like everybody has a background. Everybody has a story, even though they're all tied together in this event doesn't mean we need to know everything about their lives yeah but but i think like you know so the book we read uh they both die at the end right that had sort of interstitials but it was serving mm -hmm. a larger point where there was this trust that i felt within reading that book in and of itself that that it would tie somehow together and not that i didn't like i knew that it was there for a reason but within um they both die at the end it very much was more purposeful, right? And and mm -hmm. it added something like a certain decision became much more clear of how it affected, you know, like a decision by the main characters, we saw how it affected the greater world and then how it came back to them as well. So it was like this give and take, give and take, and it was much more fluid in that way versus here, it was just like, we're leading up to this tipping point and that's all you get essentially. Right. And I think the difference was in with, you know, they both die at the end is that we're already conditioned as readers to be like, oh, time is precious. Time is short. They know we know that that they're dying and they're on a time crunch. And so everything that they do is important and is relevant. And whereas these people in this book the, and all these random people that we're, we're reading about, they don't know that like they're, they're not looking at life like oh this might be the last thing i do today you know this they're just going about their everyday lives um so they don't, you don't have that pressure of preciousness um when it comes to uh whatever daily things that they're they're doing with and i think that's why my my uh well like why it, it doesn't feel like as important because the meaning behind it wasn't as dire yeah, and, and certainly like they're in transitional times, but that did that, yeah, that as you talk about it, it does click for me that ticking time bomb wasn't quite there. Like for Jerry, it, sure, it was make the deal, but it wasn't, there wasn't this side like, you know, make the deal by like Tuesday or it's never happening. Uh, certainly Whitney is in a phase of life where she's going to enter into college and stuff like that, but it's not, ironically, both, neither of those things are like explicit. They're just like, they're part of it, but they're not the driving force. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I'd be hard pressed to like actually find necessarily a driving force to any of their lives. Yeah. And like, that's the thing. Uh, um, you know, like, and I had the moment reading this book. I was like, why do I care about these people? Not to sound terrible, but like they, this, they sounded like a typical American family um, successful father, sure, he has a successful job, but like also a typical American teenager, like, ugh, now I have to read about a, a girl making stupid decisions and stuff. So like, it, uh, uh, my whole thing while reading, I was like, why are these people special? Why should we be following them? Because they don't seem like they're like, so they're not celebrity status. They're not, they're, they're just like an average family. So why should we keep following them? I mean, I, you know, 
I think as you're pointing out, I think the specialty is the fact that they are sort of more everyday families, right? And even though they're certainly more affluent than most, um, you know, we can find the similarities, right? The divorce, you know, trying to find a purpose in life. Mm -hmm. But, and so for me, that was the interesting part, but I don't know, even I, I look back at like, we read Ian McEwan's Saturday and, you know, that is very specific, but that honed in on one particular character and sure his family was involved in that, but it still focused mainly on him and through that lens of everything. Um, and not to say that like, you know, we need to follow Jerry or something like that. I, I, I'm fine following the family, but I would have really liked that specificity to follow them. Cause I don't know if he like, there were certain paragraph, like we'd be, we'd spend like 10 pages on this minute thing. And then there'd be like, within like a, one paragraph, we'd all of a sudden go from like Tokyo all the way to some other country. I'm like, wait, how did we get here? What happened? Right. Did the deal not go through? Like, hold on. W what actually happened? Like, all of a sudden, it just like switches gears and goes like, uh, you know, into hyperdrive. And yeah, so, I'm, no, you know, go ahead. No, I, I agree. It did feel kind of like all over the place too. But I, I think it might be because maybe it's just a reflection of these characters that, 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 um, as soon as something doesn't work, they're on to the next thing. Um, and we see Jerry like traveling back and forth, going from place to place without any heads up. And I think that kind of shows the impulsivity of both, you know, Jerry and Whitney and just their life decisions that they're not driven by like um, they have to do this. That they're like, well, I'm feeling this right now, so let me just do this. Um and I think it just shows that, again, it could just be the trauma. It could just be where they are in life. They're just going fleeting in between places to place. You know, that yeah. transient state that people can get into. I definitely understand that. Yeah. And certainly, um, if anything, I thought like, you know, in, in the sort of, let's say the middle of the book, um, things were kind of almost picturesque, right? You had when the mother reconnecting with Whitney, her daughter, um, you know, baby Jonathan, um, you know, was born. And like, so not only are Whitney and Tracy like best buds, you know, they're living their adventures, but now Wynn and Kathy, they're forming a friendship and a bond. And if anything, you know, I, I even thought like, okay, Wynn's going to maybe leave Jerry because, you know, she's in it for convenience or just accept that fine. It, it is convenient. I don't love it, but I've got all this other great stuff um, there. When in fact, obviously what happens is like, oh, it's picturesque, but we're going to take away essentially <laughs> pretty much everything um, and, you know, leave you with that. Right. And like, that was just another thing that I didn't, I had a hard time liking Jerry as a character because him going, you know, you know, going from country to country and like noticing other women being with other women when he has a married wife at home with a kid, with two kids, you know? Um, and I was like, you have an, an actual good life waiting for you at home. Why are you like somewhere else and not focusing on them? And you should be um, again. So like that, that was like my frustration with him. Um, and like we never saw like a true intimate, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I don't really remember any intimate moments between Wynn and Jerry other than, you know, just the fact that they're married. 
Yeah, I mean, so, I'd be like, hard-pressed. Hard was, like, to... was it a loveless marriage? I don't know, because it kind of seemed like that. Or at least, like, when is in it, or maybe the, um, you know, like you said, convenience and the stability of family structure. But Jared doesn't seem like he, he wants anything to do with it. Yeah, I mean, he, 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 I'd be hard pressed to even find like, you know, he comes home and like, just like brushes her hand or something like that. Like, you know, um, in fact, you know, most of the time, right? Like, I think she was like asleep when he did come home from the office and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. And, and if anything, I, I think like it was just a pendulum swing for when with her first marriage, like it was so impulsive and just about like, you know, that sort of thing of like, it's all about love when it's not really, but like that, that sort of lie you tell yourself, you know, we love each other, we'll figure it out. And then, right. you know, cut to three years or whatever it is later, all of a sudden you hit, you can't stand each other because of course life, you know, neither of you are prepared for life and you don't actually hold any of the same values. So at least like she's, I think with Jerry in many ways, counteracting that where it's like, okay, might not, I don't know if even physically like she loves him or whatever. Um, I'm sure like he's a good looking guy or whatever, you know, in that sense. But she's like, you know, I'll overlook every one of those aspects because, you know, it's that sort of thing. Once you're beaten down by life, these are the things that make more uh, sense practically versus like, oh, he's got to be good looking. He's got to like, you know, make me like whatever it is, you know. Right. Do, do you think Vin settled? It seems like maybe because she had a already a failed marriage and now she has she's taken on a stepdaughter. She has a, a new child. Um, maybe she's just she's in it because now she has a commitment and she's kind of at that point in her life where she kind of settled for Jerry. I think so. Just for the sake of stability. I think so. I mean, she, you know, she was trying to do because she also had the kids. Right. So it's one thing to like, you know, be divorced right. on your own. But like. I think she felt this guilt and was trying to do right by her kids in the way that she could. Yeah, I like it. And again, I see that because that's a very American thing. That, honestly, that's a very Midwest thing to do. And I can say that I'm from Illinois. Um, I have witnessed firsthand my sisters also, like both of them divorced, like married, divorced with kids. Um, and then I see the the men that they choose after their divorce and they're like, mm, are you only in it for convenience and stability or is this really love? Um, that's a very realistic recurring thing when it comes to women, when they have that type of history, as unfortunate as it is, like you get to a certain age um, and I don't want to like make this about ageism or anything because I admittedly I haven't been married. So they're like, oh, Marissa, you don't know what you're talking about. But like I've I've seen it. Like, I've seen women get to the point where they just choose the guys because it's easy for them um, yeah, compared I mean, to, you know, actual love or they, they do it because it helps them out where they are in life. I mean, Titanic's one of the greatest stories about that, right? Like, Kate Winslet has to marry, you know, because, it's, yeah. and you know, they know he's kind of an asshole, but it's like, he will keep our family afloat as the mom, you know, very, in no uncertain terms, tells Kate Winslet. Yeah, there's money, like there's money and stability involved. And pe like, you'd be amazed what men and women would do just for the sake of stability um, and, the, and the crap that they put up with just so they could be 
safe. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, I think there was a few hints at, at this, like, I mean, I think for Jerry, if anything, um, not that Wynn was like a trophy wife, but like she was a nice asset to the company dinner parties or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like it very much felt like that, you know, she's, she's just the, essentially a prop of like, all right, Hey, I need you come to dinner. Great. Do your thing. I don't, cause Jerry's not really ultimately social, not in that way. He'll talk business with you all day, but that's, that's why I think like him going through, you know, Southeast Asia is very like him just detached. Um, yeah. And so, and I think like when, if anything brings that side of it and he needs it for those specific moments. Yeah. And I think, Jerry holds on to him because it's like it gives him that false sense of balance in his life. He's a really great businessman, but is he a good family man? Not really. So, but again, just having the sake of someone just to say you have someone in your life, like, oh, I have a wife, I have kids, like, this is my family, this is my successful family. That doesn't just because it looks like you have people doesn't mean you really do have them. You know, that it's facade, really. Yeah, it's very much like, yeah, 100%. It's like that checking off a box of like, oh, in the appearance of success, not only do I have the money, but I have a great family. It's like, yeah, yeah. at at what cost? Like, you don't have a great, like, sure, they're a great family, but you're not great within that family whatsoever. Um, So it's yeah. yeah, That's why Jerry was so hard to like. Because, yeah, Very sure, much. he, like, his his priorities in life weren't really where they should be. Or Very at least, much. you know, like, when he should be focusing on his family, he was focusing on work, you know. So it, it's just, like, how he was da- dealing with things, not great. Ideally, not great. <laughs> not great. Um, one of the things, so it, it is set in the 70s, but it was written in the 90s, Um And what I appreciate about that overall is with the benefit of hindsight at any moment, like we can look back at like, you know, any period of history as like a changing time. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so forth. And and it is very fascinating of, you know, I I love, you know, to to its credit, I, I love stories that make the connection of like the old is essentially the same as it is today. Like we always think we are advancing and so forth and sure, technology and stuff like that might change our interactions and our behavior, but like, it seems the nature of humanity remains the same, right? And especially like family dynamics, like we're all talking about, you know, whether it's nowadays, you know, like, like if the dude had an iPhone, he would be on his iPhone, you know what I mean? So it's like, it just takes on a different medium ultimately. Um, But like you said, you know, teenagers being teenagers, it's like, that'll be the same till the end of history. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. No, I completely agree with you. And there's something about the 90s, because, again, we're talking about transitional state of the world is that, I mean, you had a turning point of a century. That was before iPhones. That was before cell phones were really like an everyday part of life, unless you were like in the business world like Jerry was. Um, Internet was up and coming, but we didn't use it every day like we did. So like and these teenagers, they didn't have cell phones, too. But and like we always joke nowadays that technology and advancement of everything is the reason why everyone's so disconnect. But we had this family in in the 70s before all that. um, And like they're already disconnected and they didn't need technology to be 
be disconnected. And like, that's the frustrating thing. They're like, they, at that point in the seventies, they had each other, but they really didn't. Um, so you can't blame technology. You can't blame economics. You can only blame themselves. And that's, that was the frustrating thing about this family. Very much so. Yeah. I am. I a hundred percent agree with you. Um, so yeah, I think, I mean, overall, I'm sure there's other stuff we could dive into, but, um, I think that pretty much covers it unless there's something that you're dying to like, just tackle head on. Uh, no, I mean, I think I, I might've like glossed over, but like the, I, I personally always have <laughs> issues with teenage girls. Um, mostly cause I hated being a teenage girl. I hated other teenage girls when I was a teenage girl, just like, you know, when I see a gaggle of girls, it just like turns something off in me. And I'm like, oh God, I just feel the pain. And then reading about Whitney and her friend just making stupid decisions in Hawaii. It's like, you know, that was like a recipe for disaster. You have these two inexperienced, naive girls in the world being taken advantage by these older guys, even though they like fully knew that they're like, oh, we should be careful. But they're like, nope, we're just going to have fun. And you're like, oh, no, this is like the beginning of a bad lifetime movie, <laughs> you know, because, you, you know, that it, it's not going to be good. Um, and so, like, following these two girls, I'm like, mm, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> it's like, danger, girls, danger. Come on. So, uh, and, and I think that just goes to show with Whitney just where she is mentally um, after dealing with a car accident and um, recovering. And that, again, maybe it was that that thrill-seeking that she wanted to feel good. Um, she wanted to make adult decisions without the supervision of her parents. Um, but as a woman reading another woman making stupid decisions, like I just wanted to like hold her hand and, or like pull her back by her shoulders, be like, no girl, that that's not a good choice for you right now. Be smart, be smart about this. Well, so, you know, you would think that the counter opposite to Whitney and these bad decisions would be, hardworking Anita and yet hardworking Anita in some sense like she you know she was the epitome of work extremely hard but play extremely hard like you know I mean yeah my god the decisions <laughs> she made and then you know so wow yeah sure. but like and in a way she gets you could say balance she worked hard, but she also played hard. I wouldn't call um, that balance. I mean, she hooked up with my boy, Ed, and like he was like just and, you know, at the original like cocktail reception, whatever it was. um, Like, yeah, I mean, she was I mean, for all intents and purposes, she was basically drugged. Um, yeah. I mean, like she's she just seems like a person in it is just like a thousand percent balls to the wall and no matter what she does like they, there is no off switch with her everything is just like a thousand thing like to the max um yeah. like super extreme kind of yeah. and I, I think that shows like it, it it was nice to see anita like at that high extreme level compared to whitney and win that were kind of like up and down you know, you had someone who's constantly up here and then the others are like goes up and down back and forth. So yeah. we, we, we I, I like that we got like a different set of women going against not not to say going against each other, but we can see the different qualities of the type of women in this book. 
Yeah. One thing um, that, that I realized, so I want to talk about the, the book essentially begins with Robin and ends with Robin. How did you like that sort of mm-hmm. book end of him as a character? So he obviously he, he's the character who passed away in the initial um, car mm-hmm. accident. And so, you know, by the end, he's rejoined with his friend Whitney. Yeah, I mean, looking, yeah. quite honestly, you could call it poetic, <laughs> as terrible as it is, because we start the book off like Robin, who who's like so excited to go see a circus. You know, he he was excited to go somewhere for something fun, and then uh, unfortunately, we we know what happens. And then at the end, now we're following all these people, and coincidentally, we have yet another car accident to. T- and now he's reunited. So you can see it in like a poetic, angelic way. It's like now he's reunited with his friend again. We're like, oh, now they're looking out for each other. Now they're with each other again. All albeit dead. <laughs> um, but they're they're together. So. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that does it for making history. We uh, invite you to comment about anything that we did not touch upon. Let us know and, you know, certainly would love to explore that with you. Um, also, you can hit us up on social media at Serafini TV for Marissa. I'm at Phil Svitek. But that is not the end of our show. Um, let's first let's first preview what we will be talking about soon. So next month, you, me and U.S. U.S. Um, um, yes, this is my choice for our June pick. June being Pride Month. Uh, also, going back to our discussion of they both die in the end, um, you know, we, we toyed with the idea that we need to have more LGBTQIA queer community stories out there. Um, this is definitely part of that. And it's also written by a Filipino American woman. So I, I think we, we're, we're, you know, killing two birds with one stone with this book. And um, it's it's a great story. It's um, about two friends slowly falling in love with each other when it becomes kind of too late in life and like what do you do about it how do you go about it how do you deal with your feelings and the the whole realization of just who you are as a person person you're realizing your sexuality your personality what does this mean for life what does this mean to relationships you know all those things all the feels up and down in this book. I loved it. I'm going to read it again. It's so good. Um, I'm excited to talk about it, but it's a, it's important because it's a very relatable story. Um, no matter who you are, uh, there, there's something for everyone. So I'm excited to cover that for our June Pride Month. Mm-hmm. And ethnic, It also it's currently May too, so it's also Asian Pacific Heritage Month too. So I was like, we got a lot of good things all together. Yeah. And certainly we love exploring new authors. That's why, you know, for me, I picked Carolyn C. And uh, so you read it. I'm excited to read it. Um, After that, um, I found this book randomly in um, a local bookstore. It's called Imagining Argentina. So for July, um, it's by Lawrence Thornton. um, Thornton. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, ironically, or whatever word you want to throw in there. It is also set in the 1970s. Um, this one's set in Argentina. So, you know, I figured we'd kind of do some globe trotting and, you know, see what life is nice. like in other countries. So. Yeah. And, you know, you, me and U.S. is in the Philippines. So there you go. Um, yeah. And then our August choice is 
um, Prodigal Summer by Barbara Kingsolver. She's written a lot of novels. I've definitely heard of her, but I've never read of her. I uh, read her her stuff, so I'm excited to read about that. I'd love to give you the premise, but honestly, I don't know. Um, other than we're, we're following um, a woman and going through multiple changes in life. So, you know, the transient states that we love to watch and read about. Absolutely. Well, do uh, you want to kick things off with what you've been reading on the side? Uh, yeah, I just finished um, Daisy Jones and the Six. Uh, that was a great story by Taylor Jenkins Reads. I feel like she's very much in the zeitgeist right now. I have, I currently have another book of hers, um, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. I'm currently reading that. Uh, exciting things. You know, I, I'm a sucker for book talk, not going to lie. Um, and I actually just reread, don't ask me why, but I just reread The Great Gatsby. Um okay. That was not on my bingo card. Yeah, I know. Classic American story. And it was it was an easy read, not going to lie. And I was like, all right, I can see why Americans love this. I mean, I read it years ago, but um, and I was a young teenager since. But now reading it as an adult, I kind of have a a new appreciation for it. And I can understand why Americans back then really gravitated to that story. So, you know, so some things here and there. Awesome. Well, currently I am uh, I've never read The Hobbit, so I'm reading The Hobbit. Um, nice. Obviously a classic. I've read Lord of the Rings, but never The Hobbit. So I'm giving The Hobbit a go. Um, I really enjoy it. It's fun. Um, I reread uh, one of my favorite books, The Tao of Poop. You can literally read it within an hour. Um, it's about Taoism and Winnie the Pooh. What better combination than that? Nice. Um, Marissa and I saw Suzume in theaters, and I've been like studying anime. So one of my favorite movies is Your Name, and I did not realize that there's a novelization of it. So I was like, well, let me read the book. So uh, very awesome. easy. Like, again, another book you could probably read in an hour if you wanted to. Nice. Um, I have not Suzume read this was one. a great book, too. Yeah. Suzume was a great film. Yeah. yeah. Like, we, we, we both enjoyed that. So, yeah. And Your Name. I, I definitely want to watch the movie, read the book, too. Awesome. Come over. Watch it tonight. <laughs> anyway. Yes. Um, and then one that I didn't read, but I do want to recommend. So this is, um, someone I work with Elise Lunin, it's called on our best behavior, the seven deadly sins and the price women pay to be good. Um, I've like from the periphery known about this book for essentially three years. Um, and I know, you know, the various concepts in the book and stuff like that. So I think it's a very, a very smart book, um, very needed book and not just for women, but I think men as well. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what, what I've been up to as far as reading. Yeah. yeah, great things. Great things indeed. All right, well, that does it for us once again at Serafini TV. That's right. And, and I'm at Phil Svitek, and we'll see you next month for You, Me, and U.S. Bye. Bye.